0: Hello and welcome to the MIT Press Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Gondek, and today I'll be speaking with Michael Schrag about his new book, The Innovator's Hypothesis, How Cheap Experiments Are Worth More Than Good Ideas. Michael Schrag is a research fellow at the Center for Digital Business at MIT Sloan School of Management. A sought-after consultant on business innovation, he's the author of Serious Play, How the World's Best Companies Simulate to Innovate, and What Do You Want Your Customers to Become? Michael Schrag, thanks for taking time to talk to the MIT Press Podcast today. It's my pleasure. Most people in the business world are always looking for a good idea, what would you say to them?
1: I would say that good ideas are bad. I think, and I'm, I'm afraid I'm not saying this to be provocative or contrarian, in my work with organizations and my teaching executive ed classes, good ideas are a horrible unit of analysis for thinking about and acting upon innovation you are much better off thinking in terms of testable hypotheses than good ideas in a in a perverse sort of way thinking in terms of good ideas is like describing sculpture in terms of weight does weight does the weight of the sculpture matter of of, of course it does but the form and the material matter more so i think that organizations and individuals who want to be entrepreneurial and innovative are fooling themselves and hurting themselves when they say, geez, we need a good idea, what's what's a good idea to build on? That's the exact wrong place to begin.
0: You know, it's kind of funny. You're right, there is that cult of the idea out there, and we'll probably talk about that later in the interview. But given the whole idea of commerce as being responsive to the empirical needs of the market, it seems kind of paradoxical that in a world in which men and women pride themselves on their practicality, that the cult of the good idea holds so much sway. I
1: could not agree with you more, and kudos to you for using the word cult, because that's what it is. And if we substituted the phrase belief or notion Ooh, I have a good notion. Ooh, I have a good hunch. Ooh, I have a good belief. People would be mocked in meetings, but ideas have a good brand. Unfortunately, it's a good brand with a bad value. It is, as I allude to in the book, sort of like the cheap calories Of innovation you're filled up with good ideas but then when you look at the outcome when you look at the results when you look at the likely and obvious next steps you're lost so I think this is one of those circumstances where rhetoric has triumphed over results and my book is a small modest effort to strip away the rhetoric and look at how
0: value is really created so let's talk about a business hypothesis Can you explain what it is?
1: Yes, a business hypothesis is basically an assertion of a value creating relationship. If we do X, then Y is likely to be the result. This is hardly a profound insight because it's also known as the scientific method. But what we're really trying to do is get people away from saying, wouldn't it be great if we did X? How do we analyze X and come up with a plan for implementing X rather than what are the underlying dynamics of value creation that we believe will take place? Then the question becomes, how do we design a fast, cheap, simple experiment to test that hypothesis. We don't want to prove the hypothesis, we want to test the hypothesis. So instead of validating an idea, we are trying to shift people into testing business hypotheses. Science is about the search for truth. Business is about the search for value. Business hypotheses are about the search for value creation.
0: So is it fair to say that a business hypothesis is a search for a possible causation? And, you know, I would imagine that when you're talking to businesses about this, it's when doing scientific hypothesis, it's okay if you don't find the causation in your experiment. At least you didn't scratch that off the list. Is this an issue you run into when you talk about this with businesses?
1: Oh, yeah, and of course there's the famous line from Thomas Alva Edison that, you know, I've failed 999 times, but I've discovered 999 ways it doesn't work, you know, and that's a load of politically correct rubbish. The more effective way of looking at this, and and what we can say now in the 21st century that we couldn't say in the 20th century, is that the cost of doing such experiments, the cost of such quote unquote failed experiments is low. Because I'm completely open to the notion that when it makes more economic sense to do analysis, do the analysis. But we're now at a time with digital media, with digital technologies and their globality and their sophistication, that it makes more economic sense to manage a portfolio of experiments than to perform sophisticated analytics.
0: You know, the funny part is that, as you point out in the book, there are a lot of really successful businesses, Facebook, Google, Netflix, that see themselves as centers of experimentation. And I would think that other businesses would be keen to emulate their success, so why is there resistance from some businesses about hypothesizing and experimenting? You know, is it a lack of skill in developing hypothesis? Or are there cultural factors within an organization that might not want certain hypotheses tested?
1: Well, I think you've hit on the magic
0: word, and that is culture. And I do not wish to
1: sound cynical, and I do not wish to be too critical of the business school environment that I am affiliated with through the Sloan School at MIT, but the reality is, the fact is, look at the case method of study at the Harvard Business School and look at most business school educations. How many experiments do you have to run to get an MBA? I would argue very comfortably that the culture of business has largely been an analytics culture rather than an experimentation culture. And that the reason why we find entrepreneurs doing so well in the digital media environment like Google and Facebook that you alluded to and, and Amazon and Netflix that, that we discuss, is that these are entrepreneurs who intuit and intellectualize the reality that, oh my goodness, when you look at this infrastructure, it makes more sense to do lots of little experiments and scale them. So I think we are living in a legacy culture environment, where you have 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds who grew up with a culture and economics where when in doubt, do a study. When in doubt, do analytics. When in doubt, come up with a plan. You rarely hear people say, what's the experiment in a business meeting? You almost always hear them say, what's our plan? In the same way that good ideas are a bad unit of analysis, plans and planning
0: are a poor unit of analysis. So there's a kind of a generational shift. When we talk about the companies you held up as models, they tend to be focusing more on engineering tasks as opposed to, say, the earlier startups are more staffed by finance people, whose skill set tends to lean more toward analytics than experimentation.
1: On one dimension, you're correct. On another, you know, I don't want to make this a CP Snow two cultures issue of, you know, the humanities or the finance people versus the engineers. The reality is you know, the VisiCalc spreadsheet, the Microsoft Excel, or Lotus 123 spreadsheet is a wonderful vehicle to run financial experiments. What if we change the discount rate? What if we change the net present value calculation, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? I mean, the tools and technologies are there. I really believe that this is a function of how people think in terms of innovation and how you are intellectually raised. And most kids in high school, most students in college, and certainly most MBA students really don't have to undergo the rigors of designing and testing a business hypothesis as opposed to run a multivariate regression analysis or perform this kind of a calculation. This really is a matter of education, training, capability, and and, and culture. I am calling for not a cultural revolution, but a cultural evolution. I don't, I'm not saying that analytics are bad. I'm saying you want to make your analytics more valuable? Run the bloody experiment. Run a fast, cheap, simple, scalable experiment. Have the courage and the intellectual integrity to spend as much time coming up with a portfolio of business hypotheses as gathering up all the data and running multivariate regression analyses against them.
0: So to flip to the other side, someone who may be listening to this thinking, I like what I'm hearing. And it sounds a little like design thinking or behavioral economics. So where does your work fit in with these other disciplines? What are the similarities and the differences?
1: Well, you're you're exactly right. And, And I'm glad that you phrased the question in that way. Because the reason why a business hypothesis is different, one of the reasons why a business hypothesis is different than a scientific hypothesis, is that you want to incorporate a design thinking sensibility into it. You want to respect the tenets of behavioral economics and understand how people, as people, might respond to an offer, to a to a presentation, to an experiment. So I look at experimentation as an integrative approach for the different functions and disciplines within an enterprise. I believe that collaborative design of experiment as opposed to individual functional design of experiment is the way that business enterprises should go forward. I believe you want to err on the side of holistic rather than on the side of fragmented. Uh, So so I take design thinking seriously, I take behavioral economics seriously, I like to describe my work as behavioral operations research uh, because I really do respect the insights that have been gleaned not, ironically, from the experiments done by behavioral economists like Kahneman, Tversky, Dan Ariely, and Richard Thaler.
0: We haven't talked much about the nuts and bolts of this book, but I'd like to talk a little bit about your 5x5 matrix. And to follow up on your previous answer, it would seem that organizations need to remember that when you set up a team, it's critical that there's a diversity within the team to get it to work most effectively
1: you're exactly correct, and this is one of the real challenges I run into when I do advisory work with organizations. I, you want to have a variety of these teams. You want them on some dimension cooperating and in another, on another another dimension competing. And the real value here of diversity is that you're you're pushing people to bond around how do we design within constraints. We talk about the five by five, roughly speaking, how you give five people over the span of five days an opportunity to come up with a portfolio of five experiments that take no more than five weeks to run, can't cost no more than $5,000 to run, and on a back of the envelope basis generate $5 million or $50 million in savings or growth. And it's not that I'm in love with the number five. I'm in love with the challenge of designing within constraints. The genius of the approach is designing within constraints. You can come up with a broad, far-reaching business hypothesis, but you need a cheap experiment not to solve the problem, but to generate an insight that allows you to manage the risk of going forward and encourages you to gain insights on analytics and other means to explore the importance of the business hypotheses you've come up with. That's the challenge. How do we go back, how do we co-evolve the business hypotheses with the simple, fast, and cheap experiments we use to test them? Not prove them, test them. And if you'll just forgive me, one of the most important behavioral economics insights I've learned the hard way in running these workshops in working with these five-by-five teams is that many teams are intent on proving their hypotheses. They want them to be true. No, no, we're not looking to prove a hypothesis. We're looking to gain insight and learn from the experiments we run. That requires humility. And let me tell you, humility is not necessarily a valued trait from elite business schools.
0: So apart from purchasing this book, do you have a single piece of advice for those people who want to bring business hypothesis and experimentation to their companies, but know they're going to face resistance?
1: Yes. Whenever you propose a budget, whenever you propose a plan, whenever you present a piece of sophisticated analysis suggesting a path going forward, have the integrity and courage to say, here is a fast, simple, and cheap experiment that might illuminate what we're presenting with you. We think it would be a good idea to spend a little bit of time and a little bit of money to do a real world experiment to gain insight onto this. So you begin to marry the notion of experimentation with planning and analysis.
0: Michael Schrag, the author of The Innovator's Hypothesis, How Cheap Experiments Are Worth More Than Good Ideas. Thanks for being on the MIT Press podcast today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. For more information about this and other titles, please visit our website at mitpress.mit.edu. Don't forget you can find the MIT Press on Facebook, www.facebook.com mitpress. And you can also follow us on Twitter, where we are, at MIT Press. Thanks for listening to this episode of the MIT Press Podcast. Copyright 2015, the MIT Press, all rights reserved.